We are in Genesis chapter 2. We made it. We made it. Little by little. A um, couple of things I wanted to uh, just recap from last week as we looked at the glories of man. Um, we were discussing procreation. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. Um, and we talked about children. Children are not a disease. Children are a, used to be, used to be a very natural part of man and woman. Okay. And we tend to thwart that now. Ah, I'm not ready. And so we kick the can almost interminably. But in times past, it was like, oh, we're pregnant. Wow, no surprise, you're married. And so that tends to happen. Our attitudes have shifted in a lot of ways, and we looked at how children are perceived in our culture as an inconvenience. And, and for those of us who are parents, we understand in a way they are. They're, a, they're an inconvenience to me, you know, and me doing my thing. But that's God's plan. That is God's purpose. God's purpose is for me to grow up and get out of me. That I would take the responsibility as a husband and father, and that my wife would take the responsibility of my wife and being a mother, and we would raise a family. And so Arnold highlighted that, you know, as I said, children are a convenience. He went, well, and he's right. He was right. And I didn't, I really didn't go back to it. I just kind of left children as an inconvenience. Yeah, we're in here. Okay, no, I'm pick, pick a seat. I don't care. There's plenty. Uh, I left it there. But I want to reemphasize that children are not an inconvenience. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127, verses 3 and 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, the fruit of the womb, a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That's kids. Okay, and now Christians are going to go debate, well, what's a quiver full? And, you know, like... That was not God's intent for you to debate what's a quiverful. But children, his, what he wants to convey to you is that children are good. Building a family is a good. And I didn't emphasize that here enough last week, and I appreciated Arnold for kind of going, well, there, because that kind of just nagged in me afterward. Um, also last week we talked about Filling the earth and overpopulation. Aren't we overpopulated? And, and really, we're not. We're not. God calls us to fill the earth. He doesn't say fill the earth until we are to be stewards of the earth. Yes, absolutely. But he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, what's going to stop that? Well, he probably will. You know, through whatever means. I mean, but he just, he says, go, 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 go. Didn't put a limit on it. Um... A lot of the oh, panic about overpopulation stems from a book that was written in the 60s, The Population Bomb, that said we were going to have 
worldwide famine by the end of the 70s, and on the contrary, we had more food than we know what, knew what to do with because of innovations and technologies and, and the like. So. Um, we also discussed, and you can see in bullet C, the problems that flow out of really what has happened in our culture when we separate sex from marriage and we separate marriage from making babies or making babies from marriage. I mean, we, we just, you know, what, what's a family? What do you, do you just want to live together for a while? How about, you know, what is it just a man and a woman? And, and it just completely explodes God's design and God's purpose and God's plan, which is laid out pretty plainly in chapter one and chapter two, which we haven't filled up, filled up chapter two yet. So we discuss those things. All of this is recorded, by the way. I think I'm recording. Yes, I'm recording. I recorded if you want to go back and listen to those lessons. I was sharing with some that you know, discussing this biblically will get some people fired for standing on what God's word says here today. So are we going to stand on God's word? Are we going to, oh, well. God calls us to honor him in the public square, honor him in the brotherhood. We also looked at singleness last week as not an aberration. Okay, it's not, oh, that's weird. No, it's God-ordained, and God has great purposes for singleness. Uh, uh, sometimes it is it, it happens through uh, physical problems. You know, uh, somebody is uh, has such physical issues that marriage is probably not going to be in their future. Uh, some people are single by choice. You know, I, my heart does not incline toward that. That's okay. But we see also that as a believer, that God has purpose and plan for you in your singleness. And it's not wrong to be single and to desire a spouse. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But to then be content where we are at present. And we are single. And we are married. And we talked about, we, we hinted at, and we'll get to this a little bit later as we look at, at husband and wife. God has really only one plan for you. Whether you are single or whether you are married. And that's purity. That is purity. That is purity as a single or purity as a married couple. And we'll, we'll wade into that here in the future. So a little appetizer for what's coming. Here in chapter 2, we're going to go kind of from big to small. Why is Genesis 2 different from Genesis 1? Well, it's like we got two creation stories. What's the deal? So we're just going to kind of go through this and see... Hopefully, we'll make sense of this. So, uh, starting out, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Tracy, would you read those, please? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, what God do? He finished. Finished what? 
all of his work. All of his work. And then what did he do? Okay. The work that he had done, all the work that he had done, and he rested. In the he- all the work in the heavens, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So we get the implication here. We also get the implication in Exodus chapter 20, and we'll actually look at that here in a little bit when we look at the Sabbath, that everything was created that was creatable in those seven days. That's how the reading would seem to play out. God's resting. God rested. Okay. Does God really rest? It says that. Why why can we have confidence that God isn't golfing? You know, he's not just sitting back in a lazy boy with some iced tea working a crossword. Yeah, two verses, uh, Colossians 1.17, uh, David, would you turn to Colossians 1.17, and Caleb, we'll head over to the teen table, we'll get the teens in this, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Colossians 1.17 for David, Hebrews 1.3 for Caleb. And both of these verses are speaking of God the Son, Jesus Christ. So this is really pretty cool. Colossians 1.17. I'm in trouble with your phone. Technology. Old guys with technology. It's, it's embarrassing. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Caleb, uh, Hebrews 1.3, please. Um. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. He upholds everything by the word of his power. Okay. God is doing what? He's working. I mean, he's... How hard is it for God to keep the planet spinning and keep your very cells together? Probably not that hard. Yeah, it's not that hard. It's God. But he is doing, he is doing, he has to, he has to. You know, this little positively charged proton and these negatively <coughs> charged electrons, you go, how do they, why do they not just go, and, and it's all done. You know, you can imagine that guy goes done and everything would vanish. How did matter come to be? He spoke. How can matter go bye-bye? He speaks. And it could all go away. And so he is upholding everything even as he rests. But, but it says he rested. Everything that he had made was done then. 
Has there been anything new created since here? Anything created out of nothing? Okay, so here's loaves and fish, but Jesus Christ uses these to fill baskets full. Did he, did he create them ex nihilo, out of nothing? I don't know how he did it. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so that may be a possibility. The more, more loaves and more fish. Or did he just multiply those some way in which he just died? It's like Penn, but those watching fish Penn and Teller. already existed, so he, he may have made them appear, but he didn't create a new kind of fish. Okay, so it's still the same stuff. What did he create new since then? What about people? Um, when it doesn't talk about a new creation. There will be, not yet. We're not there yet. Okay. I wish I knew how far we were from that. But it it says that about believers. Okay, good. Okay, that's good. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But I'm still me. So that is a spiritual thing as opposed to a physical thing. Okay. It was perpetual. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Then after the fall, the Lord subjected the creation mm-hmm. to the deterioration and destruction. Mm. Yep. Our sake. So that, I don't know if you could say that that's a new creation. I don't know how he did that. You know, again, how does the curse come upon? That's God's mm-hmm. uh, almighty hand. But really, you can see how, you know, why do you have tables and chairs here? It's the stuff of the earth. <laughs> You know, this is the stuff of the earth. You're horking down the stuff of the earth right here, drinking your coffee and, and such. You know, the, it's all the stuff of the earth. The little germs that infect us, it's the stuff of the earth. I know. And God rested. God rested. So if you're saying that that's not resting as in what we rest and that he stopped working, then what does that rest mean? Okay, excellent question. When we rest, do we really rest? Our brains don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so. But still, we are, and we'll, we'll get into the Sabbath here a little bit, but we see there is a cessation of primary work. Okay, my work is finished and God spent another day and it's very interesting that I mean could a week have been six days long yeah that's it but God creates in six days and tax on another day to simply enjoy what he had done 
thing, and we'll, we'll see that here in kind of the wording. Seven days. How normal to humanity is a seven-day week? It's so normal we barely think about it. We're just like, oh, it's this day of the week now. Have you heard of moves afoot to increase week lengths? Not necessarily as far as the calendar goes, but as far as work goes. Where you'll have people work 10 days in a row and then have two days off or three days off. Now, how's, how's that work on the human body? It's bad. Study after study shows that, it, it, you know, about, about after six days of work, Your body needs a break. You need to, you need to unwind a little bit to chill, to clear your head, to rejuvenate your muscles and the like. That's really peculiar. And those people who work nonstop, workaholics, you know, why are they driving themselves into the grave? Why are they dying at early rates? You know, hmm. God, verse 3, blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what does God do to this day? What's it mean he blessed the day? Yes. You know, again, blessed means happy. And so, you know, I'm going to make this day a good day. This is a good day. I bless this day. I make it holy. What does that mean? Set apart. Set apart. Special. There's a specialness to something that is holy. I don't want to make it unholy. I don't want to defile it. God set it apart and he rested from all his work. God gives man a Sabbath right here in the creation. His intention for men is to look at their heavenly father as the example and essentially do what he has done. We're going to go into a mess of scripture here. Abigail, would you turn to Exodus 20? Uh, Emily, would you turn to Exodus 35? Kara, Nehemiah 9. Christina, would you turn to Isaiah 56, please? Jeremy, I'm going to give you the the big work, Ezekiel 20. We're going to look at what God says about the Sabbath here. What does God say about the Sabbath, this, this seventh day of rest? Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, please. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall not you shall not work or do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yeah. A reiteration of a lot of the stuff that is said right here. Then God tells them, hey, that's an example to you. Now you remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't do any work. Not your cows, not your oxes, not your servants. This is in God's top ten. Okay, so pretty important. To Israel, this is in the top ten. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. So the consequence of ignoring the Sabbath? The consequence of ignoring the Sabbath? Death. 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 Is the Sabbath supposed to be punitive? You may not work on the Sabbath. No. No. Of course not. It is to be a delight to you. It is to be a refreshment to you. You are to remember what God has done. Remember that Sabbath day. This is God's resting. And keep it holy. Don't ignore it. In fact, somebody in Numbers 15, we, I didn't give, assign that to anyone, uh, was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Picking up sticks for the fire. And they put them to death. Ignored the Sabbath. Might want to go out Friday night, pick up the sticks. Remember the Sabbath day would be this would be Saturday, what we call Saturday, which kind of begs the question. We have a five day work week. Why do we have a five day week instead of a six day week? Because Sunday was originally the first work day. Sunday was. The original workday. Why is it not the? Why is it not a workday anymore? Those of you also like to have Saturday call. Huh? Christ. This this is a Western thing. As Christendom took over Western Europe, Saturday was the Sabbath. Sunday was the Lord's day, and so. Ultimately, this was the day that Christians set aside to remember the resurrection of the Lord. And the five-day week, work week, was, was born. Can't even imagine working six days anymore unless you're a farmer. In which case, they almost have to work seven days a week, a lot of them. Um, Nehemiah 9, 13 to 14.
You know, Nehemiah is reminding them of the good law that God provided them, and he throws in there, and your holy Sabbath. Like Nehemiah's going, this is a good thing. He even sets that aside of all the commandments, and your holy Sabbath. This is a good thing. Isaiah 56, verses 1 and 2. Thus said the Lord, keep your judgment and do justice for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that do this, and the son of man that lay hold on it, and keep the Sabbath from polluting it, and keep his hand from doing any evil. God is, God's call to his people is to do rightly, to do justly, and keep the Sabbath. And keep the Sabbath. I mean, this is, this is woven throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 20 is a painful chapter on the consequences of not Sabbath keeping. Uh, verses 12 and 13. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath, a sign between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. They rejected and profaned my Sabbaths. We'll talk about Sabbaths here in a minute too, because it's not just Saturday that is the Sabbath. Uh, 18 to 21 also. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules, and keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, and were not careful to obey my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbath. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. Yeah. What is God's attitude about his Sabbath? Pretty serious. He's pretty serious about it. But Jesus, when Jesus came, kind of Sabbath went away though, right? He's like, eh, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Uh, Sarah, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? What did, what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Healed. Healed in violation of the Sabbath, right? Different kind of work. Excellent. Jesus Christ, and I didn't, I didn't pull this out. It says somewhere in Scripture. I'll go with the author of Hebrews. Jesus Christ declared the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. You know, you weren't created to keep a Sabbath. It was made for you to rest and relax. He goes, which of you knuckleheads is not going to pull your animal out of a hole on the Sabbath? Of course you are. If my child is bleeding, I am going to work to stop their bleeding. I'm going to take them to a hospital where hopefully the doctor will work on Sunday to stop the bleeding of my child. Or on Saturday. You know, he healed the withered hand. He healed the man who was born blind in John chapter 9. Um, what did his disciples do on the Sabbath? Reflect 
plucked grain and ate it. Because they wouldn't have anything to eat otherwise. So, we go, is, is Jesus Christ dismissing the Sabbath? No. You're, again, you're, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, said what? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't come to go, ah, Sabbath's not a thing anymore. I came to fulfill it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was never supposed to be a painful thing for people. Paul gives an admonition, though. Katie, would you turn to Romans chapter 14? Hit almost anybody here. 14. Paul gives an admonition about days here. Well, some guys and, and some... 14 verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay. So what is Paul saying? Okay. Set aside time. Set aside a day. There's still there's still this this idea of a day here. But he says one guy says one day and the other guy, notice the other guy does not dismiss it. He looks at them all the same. These are all days to honor God. Probably not all days to rest. That would probably not be fruitful. Call that sloth. Um... <clears throat> So what, in all of this, you go, wouldn't it have been nice if God said, here is my purpose for the Sabbath, and here is what I would like you to do. So what here would you say, based on all of this, God's purpose in the Sabbath is for man? Okay, to rest. If you keep reading in that passage in Romans, it's to honor the Lord. Okay. We are to go back to Exodus 20. You are to remember the Sabbath, which was the seventh day. And keep it holy. Remember. What am I remembering? That God rested from what? Okay, what is his work? Yeah, you know, it's, and so ultimately I go back and I remember the Sabbath and I remember all of God's goodness to me. In giving me this. I remember. I rest 
and I remember. I rest and I remember. Why? Huh? I was just going to say it's kind of like communion. Why don't we Sabbath? We're New Testament Christians. We don't do that. Why don't we Sabbath? What are some reasons Christians would give that we don't keep a Sabbath? Do you mean a, a Sabbath day or a day of rest? A day of rest. We'll say, because it could be a Tuesday for like surgeons or somebody or pastors who work on Sundays. Pastors work on Sundays. So they'll take Mondays oftentimes or Tuesdays. Whatever. Because for them, they had to work harder than we do because we now have machines who can do work for us, so our workload is way less than theirs would be. I like to say we pack our schedules. I work Monday through Friday and on the weekends to catch up on all the housework. I got, you, you don't understand how much stuff I got to do. Sunday's for football. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, we'll, talk, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about how we honor the Sabbath. We'll talk about how we honor the Sabbath here in just a moment. So, so Christians would say, too, that we're not under the law. Okay, good. We're not under the law. I'm not a Jew. But the other or it's very interesting that almost all of the other commandments of the of the top ten are you can find them elsewhere in the New Testament, but you can't find remember the Sabbath day to keep going. You have you have the examples of Jesus and the disciples, Jesus healing. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see that Jesus did not come to dismiss the Sabbath, though, and Paul admonishes them. One guy declares a day, the other guy says they're all the same. So we don't want to be legalistic. You know, I want to be a Pharisee. Okay, oh, the pods, I can't do anything on Sunday because they're Christians. Um, so I guess, Keith, um, I want to ask a question. What do you mean by why don't we Sabbath? Why don't we keep a Sabbath? Why don't, why don't we rest? Christians, yes. Why, don't why do Christians typically not set aside a day to specifically rest. And, and a lot of times, you, you, if you were to ask Christians, why do you do what you do on Sunday? Almost nobody's going to say, I'm keeping a Sabbath to honor the Lord. I hope, I hope that's, that's false, but I would say for the average Christian, that's not a thing. There's not a thing. I got to move along. Grass needs cutting. It's the only day I can do it. Well, it depends on how you look at it, too, because if, it, if it's purely thinking of a day of rest, I've never felt like Sundays was a restful day, especially when you have a house full of little kids that you're trying to get up and get ready for church and get off to church, and then you go back to church on Sunday night or whatever. It just doesn't feel restful for a mom with a bunch of Can moms rest? Moms never rest. <laughs> you know? You laugh. <laughs> it's, he'll know, he'll learn. It's, it's. It's hard. To, to Sabbath has to be purposed. It's hard. It is really hard to Sabbath. Um, you know, somebody who works heavily, their Sabbath may mean chilling. 
The most restful thing they can do is probably work a crossword puzzle, paint, needlepoint, whatever. But for somebody who is idle all week, doing this kind of thing, what might their Sabbath rest look like? Hiking the mountains. Hiking in the mountains. Or something to... To rest. To rest. To clear your head. Is, is football okay? Maybe. Maybe. Good. <laughs> Good. What about going to the movies? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's like... Yeah, you got to take, of course. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, there, but there are Christians that would say, oh, just don't go to R-rated movies, but yet many of them saw Passion of the Christ. Yep, yep. I know, uh, as I was reading up for the Sunday school lesson, I know John Piper, when his kids were growing up, they didn't do sports on Sunday. Didn't do sports on Sunday. That was his conviction. Like, they watched them, or the kids didn't play sports, or any of that? Any of that. Any of that. You know, they may have gone out as a family to do something. Uh, They didn't go to movies on Sundays either. They went to movies. He said, but we didn't do it on Sunday. Okay? My graduate school, or, I mean, it was the whole school, but it was the first time that I had ever heard this. They asked us not to do homework on Sunday, and had the library closed, and gave had no classes on Monday morning to help us not do homework on Sundays. Wow. Interesting. I wow. never heard of that until wow. then. So keeping the Sabbath was a day of rest to honor the Lord. In the wilderness, they didn't have synagogues. So you got millions of people in the wilderness. Yep. Resting. Yep. Doing their own worship. No, visiting other people, enjoying the day, talking, sitting out, sipping tea, um, munching their manna. I'm seeing this uh, Sabbath go to a church setting where Christians get together and honor the Lord. Here are some principles I think we can glean from what we've looked at. The Sabbath is really important to God. He made it as an example for us that we would do the same. That we would take a day of the week and that we would rest. That we would rest from our normal activities as much as a mom can. You know, especially when they're little. You know, there's changing diapers. You're going to have to change diapers. Oh, man, I'm going to have to take, get in my bath. It happens. Those things happen. you got to get your ox out of the ditch. So, but you, you would say um, what, what uh, Tracy just said about that Christians would say that we're not under the law. Yep. That is a valid point. Yep. Because okay. Christ came to fulfill the law. Absolutely. But like, like Abraham where faith is an example before the law for us, his faith is, so also the Sabbath supersedes the law. You know, the commandment to keep the Sabbath is because it, has, it had always been in place. 
the Sabbath had been there. Now I'm giving it to you as a holy day. Remember that holy day. Okay, because it hadn't been up to this point. God gave them other Sabbaths as well. You know, in, in Scripture, there are more Sabbaths than just the seventh day. Days that are set aside to rest. Days, you know, feasts, feast days, uh, and the like. Also, you, so you'll see other Sabbaths. High Sabbaths in association with the feasts. We'll not get into those. Essentially, I think we have to realize that aside from the law, it, 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 God knows what is best for us. Mm-hmm. And it is clearly that that is what is best for us mm-hmm. and to recognize that, that we need that. Yes. Enjoy God. You know, take time to enjoy God. Is that reading His Word? Maybe. Is that enjoying His creation? Yes. Is it praying? I hope so. Um, singing? Your family likes it. We, we, no, we don't. Um, but it would be really nice if we did, if we could sing harmonies and stuff together. And I mean, that'd be a beautiful thing. Some families do that. But my exhortation here is at least to consider it as believers, because oftentimes we don't. All right, any other thoughts on the Sabbath before we move on? So, going back to a quick example, what happens if, say, someone really enjoys mowing the lawn? And for them, that is resting, even though it is you would consider it work. Like, not like, or you could use another example. They like, like, they like painting or something. Yeah. Like, yep. Some people find gardening cathartic and relaxing. And again, if 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 it's a, and we're, we're not going to get into all of the examples of well, what about how come? That's again, that's that's a part of our freedom in Jesus Christ. But for somebody who is idle, I think yard work is, is a fine recreation, is a fine rest for them. They might find it restful. For me, it would not be. I would be doing it because I had to. And it, it, would, it would be profaning the Sabbath if I were mowing the lawn on Sunday. <clears throat> All right, moving on. Uh, a clue, a really a, a clue to chapter two. If you read through chapter two, you're going to go, man, this reads a little bit different than uh, chapter one. So, uh, what we're going to do here is try and figure out why the differences between chapter one and chapter two. Without reading all of chapter two right now, you're just going to have to take my word for it. Some people will say who don't hold to a high view of the word of God that there are two different accounts. That. The Mesopotamians had this account, and the Babylonians had this account. We just kind of went, eh, they're kind of close, and so we're just putting them together. That is not a very high view of Scripture. Um, some would assert that chapter 1 is merely poetry, and chapter 2 is more a narrative. That's uh, still kind of mushy as far as... Um, it is interesting to note that within chapter 1 you see uh, the word for God uh, oftentimes in there is Elohim. God, God, God said, God said, God said. And in chapter 2, you get the Lord God. The Lord God, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh Elohim, in there put together. And you go, why is that? Yeah, I don't know. God didn't tell me. Do I take it as a completely different account? Well, not yet. There is a clue here, and you find the clue in verse 4. 
So, Katrina, would you read chapter 2, verse 4 there? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay. You might be reading that and you just go, whoop, you go blowing right by there. Okay. Flip over, hold your spot there, and go to chapter 5. Arnold, would you read verse 1? This is the book of the generation of Adam, when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Elaine, would you read chapter 6, verse 9? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah Bianca, would you read chapter 10, verse 1, please? Thank you. So, chapter 11, verse 10, chapter 11, verse 27, chapter 25, verse 12, chapter 25, verse 19, chapter 36, verses 1 and 9, chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of... And off he goes from there. What we see is a coherence to Genesis. There is a coherence to Genesis in the telling. Here is the general. Now we're going to go specific. You know, so let me tell you about Noah, and then let me tell you about the generations of Shem. Now let me tell you about the generations of Terah, from which Abraham comes. Let me tell you about the generations of uh, Isaac. Let me tell you about the generations of Esau and of Jacob. And so you will see, okay, here we are telling a story, and now we are going to branch off of this story, not going to tell the whole big general story anymore. We are going to look specifically at things that are going down here. Does that make sense? And so... In chapter 1, you have the creations of the heavens and the earth. And we have all of the days laid out. And now, specifically, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And now God is going to look specifically at the pinnacle of his creation, and that was man. How is man created so herein we begin a more detailed look of what went on corbin would you read uh, verses five and six please now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the lord god had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground Okay, so a couple of weeks ago we talked about how there was water above the heavens and there was water on the earth. And here it says there was not yet rain. 
on the earth, but that dew came up from the ground and watered the earth. Verse 7, Then the Lord formed the man from the dust, man up, sorry, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. How is man's creation, man, man was created like the animals here, so don't, 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 don't let that twist your gut. But man and the animals were created differently than much of the rest of creation. How so? Man was made in the image of God. Okay. And also it says that God breathed life into them. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a minute, but of what did God make man? Dust. Dust. God used the earth. God used that which was already created. He didn't create man, nor did he create animals ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke and it came to be. God spoke and it came to be. That's what we read throughout the the creation account in chapter 1. And then we get to the creation of the animals and he creates them from the dust of the earth. And he does the same from man. Why? I don't know. But therein we see man is directly tied to that very place on which he lives. You know, there's, there is a real, almost a relationship there already because I am made of this stuff. And interestingly, that is the name that God gave to him, which we don't read yet. Okay, and God breathed into him the breath of life. I've mentioned this in the past. I'll, I'll just mention it again. The Hebrew word for breathed is ruach. I don't speak Hebrew. Look it up. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's the same word. God breathed and spirit is the same word. Breathed, breath, wind, and spirit, same word. God breathed. God, did God animate man? Or did God inspirate man? Did, did God merely oxygenate man? Or did he make him a unique being? And I believe the wording here goes back to what we read in Genesis chapter 1, that he made man in his image. He gave man something different. Man has a spirit that the rest of creation doesn't have, that we can have relationship with him that the rest of creation doesn't. All creation declares the glory of the Lord. But only man can have that fellowship with him and really ultimately that extraordinary fellowship with one another. We'll pick this up here uh, next week as we go into that. Um, I thought it was worth our time to spend time looking at the Sabbath since this is where it originated, which is why we're doing this study in the first place because so much of our understanding of life goes back to these very chapters. So any other thoughts as we close things down here?